Um, our picnic is May 30th. That's uh, three weeks away. Um, next week, uh, Sunday evening, is the Awana Award Ceremony. So Awana parents, make note of that. Youth parents, uh, the youth are going to be helping serve that evening as well on the 16th. And then on the 23rd is going to be our Senior Sunday. So we will have our, our graduating seniors in high school. will be up here on stage. We'll have a video and then we'll have a short reception in the gym where we'll have our seniors. They'll set up some, some tables with, with some pictures and things like that, and you can go through and sign a book of encouragement to them, as well as we'll have just some cookies after the church that you can just walk through um, quickly, greet them, congratulate them, that sort of the thing. And then um, they'll be honored again at youth that night, the 23rd. And then on the 30th, picnic time on campus here, outside worship at 11 o'clock, and then um, we'll have food. The, the, um, we're asking families to bring desserts, but everything else the church is providing, and food will be served to you. There will be seating in the gym, seating outside. We'll have access to the park next door at Doug Gap, and we'll just uh, hang out. So plan to stay for a few hours that day, let kids play on the playground. We'll play frisbee, we'll play volleyball, whatever, and just spend some time together as, as church families. But we've got to finish Ecclesiastes, and we're only in chapter 3. So by the end of May, I told you last week, I'm going to be gone for all of June, and we've got then a deadline to finish Ecclesiastes. And you're probably thinking, well, you've preached like four sermons on two chapters, and there's nine chapters left, so that's not great time management, but that's okay. We're going to finish Ecclesiastes one way or another. And here's the goal. This is actually intentional. I took a very slow approach to chapter two. We'll go all through chapter three today. And then next week, we're, we're going to skip. We're going to skip kind of towards the end for the next couple of weeks to just sort of hit some highlights. Because now you know the main message of Ecclesiastes already. And the content of the first couple chapters is repeated throughout the following chapters. And so you have a good sense of where this book is going. If you don't, then go back and review those sermons. Um, but the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, is continuing to search for pleasure, continuing to search for meaning in pleasure, work, wisdom, education, whatever it is. But in chapter 3, he starts talking about time. We as humans have a complicated, at best, relationship with time. And we all sort of know this. Our experience of time changes based on context. In one sense, it's true and simple that your sense of time changes as you get older. To a seven-year-old, an hour seems like an, a really painfully long time. But to a 77-year-old, an hour passes by relatively quickly. And, and as you grow, as you age, you know that you're concept of in relation to time changes. But it's not just age, it's what we're doing. You know, time flies when you're having fun, right? And so for that seven-year-old that feels like an hour is an excruciatingly long time when they're sent to their room to play by themselves, they're playing outside with a friend, that hour is going to qu pass very quickly. And so for the older person sitting at a doctor's office waiting seemingly endlessly, um, that hour is going to be excruciatingly long. And yet, in relationship, sitting in a conversation with an old friend or a family member, that hour passes by in no time. We all experience time. We all get frustrated with time. We all feel like things are slipping out of our hands because the joys and, and the positives that we're experiencing just 
go away. And then new hard things come up in their place. But then we forget about the fact that actually those hard things, those go in seasons too, those pass away and are replaced with more joys, more successes. And what the author of Hebrews is doing for us here today is he's trying to balance our understanding of time. And also, again, as I've said pretty much every week, he's telling us to get over it. He's telling us to get over and beyond the sun in our perspective. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom only in as much as it's a book about perspective. You will not get the book of Ecclesiastes, you will not get the wisdom, the hope, and the joy in the pages of Ecclesiastes if you don't approach it from the right perspective. So he's giving us a new perspective on time this morning. So we'll read, um, we'll actually read through all of Ecclesiastes 3, and then we'll talk through a season for everything, beauty in everything, and the truth that rejoicing is better than anything and everything else. Ecclesiastes 3.1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. As we read this, you'll start to recognize it. One of the most famous passages from Ecclesiastes. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw that under the sun, in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw, there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? 
This guy, the author of Ecclesiastes, he's incredibly frustrating. And it's okay to be honest about that. Because this is actually, in the first 15 verses of chapter 3, one of those portions of Ecclesiastes that is like the easiest to get and grasp onto. Because in the end, he starts talking about good and, and, and hopeful things. He says, everything is beautiful in its, in its time. And everything that God does endures forever. And yet this chapter ends with comparing men and beasts. And he said, well, both die. So what's the big difference anyway? And you're thinking, are you... Are you trying to confuse us? Are you just trying to drive us crazy? Because here you're saying you can find hope and meaning and, and some level of joy in any and all circumstances and life as a season and, and it ebbs and flows, but let's pursue joy in all circumstances. And then you start comparing us to animals and I don't feel like that's very hopeful. And so the message of Ecclesiastes is again all about perspective. And we have to keep in mind that his perspective is what does life look like under the sun? And he's giving us hope in this passage. But then he's reminding us in the end that if there is no difference between man and animal, then there is no point to it all. But he doesn't ultimately say there is no difference. He says if there is no difference, there's no meaning. But because there is a difference... Because there is an eternal soul inhabiting those created in the image of God. Because of that, we see the difference and we see that we can perceive time differently. It's the key to this passage is that he has told us that eternity is set in our hearts. As we unpack this idea, we're going to see that eternity in our hearts can be frustrating because it causes us great agony at the impermanence and the, the lack of consistency around us, but it's also a message of hope. So un unpack this passage this way. We'll see that there is a season for everything, there is beauty in everything, and rejoicing is better than everything. So many wrongly assume that this passage just tells us you've no control over your life, everything's a cycle, there's some good here, there's some bad here, everything just ebbs and flows, so just Grit your teeth and bear it. Just deal with it. And just recognize you don't have ultimate control over your life. So just grit your teeth and ride the waves of whatever life throws at you. That's not the message here. The message is far more hopeful than that. But, but there are some truths in that perspective. That the message of hope coming at us here is to tell us that in the midst of the ebb and flow, in the midst of the joy and the sorrow, in the midst of the celebration and the mourning, there is a promise here that the mourning will end, that the weeping will end, and that, that the joy will last. But we have to dive deep in order to see it. Under the sun, we recognize that time keeps moving forward. In this life in which all is lived in the context of being under the sun, we continually are reminded, we're continually hit in the face with the truth that things just keep on moving. Whether you're ready for times and seasons to change or not, life just keeps on moving forward. But God has put eternity into our hearts. Eternity into our hearts as a statement is a first a statement of frustration in this passage. It is the author showing his frustration at the fleeting nature of life because the beautiful things pass. And so when we as human beings created in the image of God are created 
for eternity. God has put into our hearts and into our minds this sense that beauty should not end, that relationships should not end, that joy should not end. We're created for that desire of lasting relationships, and that's why life hurts so much. Because when we are graveside at the loss of a friend or family member, and we are mourning, and we're in agony at a relationship that was lost before we were ready to say goodbye to that person. The, the, the image of God within us is crying out and, and hurting in pain because we were not originally created to experience physical death in that way. It, it, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when they ate from the tree, when they disobeyed God's direct order, Scripture tells us that death enters into the world through sin. When Jesus himself was at the grave of his dear friend Lazarus and came to the grave, Jesus wept and Jesus snorted. Your, your version probably doesn't say that, but he did. Jesus snorted, grunted in anger as he looked at the pain that those that he loved were experiencing. Was Jesus angry? Was Jesus angry at the mourners? Was Jesus angry at Mary and Martha for being sad that their brother has died? No. Jesus, in that passage in John 11, shows anger at death itself because that is not the way it should be. Death hurts, death causes pain, mourning, and grieving, and death has entered into this world because of man's sin. And when Jesus is standing graveside, weeping himself at the loss of his friend Lazarus, and, leap, and weeping at the pain he's seen from other people that he cares about, he knows, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, to conquer over death because I do not intend for my people to be mourning and hurting in pain of death. And so, so here's what eternity in hearts does. The fact that we have been created with eternity in our hearts means that when someone dies, it hurts because we know something's not right about it. We know that that's just not right. We shouldn't be experiencing this pain. This person had a part of my heart and now they're gone. And therefore, what do I do with it? How do I mourn it? How do I grieve it? Or maybe it's not just a loss through death. Maybe it's a, a relationship that has been broken apart. Whether it's a marriage broken apart, a friendship broken apart, a relationship between child and parent broken apart. Those relational ruptures, they they hurt because they're not right, because it's not the way God intends for us to live. And this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is experiencing under the sun, that Jesus steps in to restore and renew for us. And so when the author of Ecclesiastes is speaking that eternity in our hearts is causing him frustration because he says in verse 11, man cannot find out what God has done. Have you ever thrown up your hands and said, God, I don't understand what you're doing? There's a reason that when we sing, when we gather together and we sing, that even when I don't see it, you're working. People connect with that because everybody, everybody lives in the, I don't know what you're doing, God. 
I don't understand your ways. I don't understand your purposes in this. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us is you're not going to. But because you have set, because God has set eternity in your hearts, even though it hurts, there is hope. The fact that God has put eternity in our hearts causes us frustration at the fleeting nature of life. It causes us pain at the passing nature of life, but it also gives hope to the hurting and joy for the journey. It gives hope to the hurting because we know that though this loss hurts, this pain will end. It gives joy for the journey because we know that though the road winds, the destination is already determined for the sons and daughters of the king. We know that while death hurts and while there is a time to mourn, there is also a time to laugh and a time to dance. And so here's what happens in this life. We recognize that good times and bad times both pass. And sometimes you're living in a season of great joy and celebration thinking, man, things are going well. And sometimes you're living in a season of great pain thinking, man, nothing's going right. But what happens to all of us is in those seasons of great joy and celebration where it feels like things are going well, your joy is deadened by the realization of, well, it's not always going to be this way. Have you ever been there? You ever been on an incredible vacation and you just want to live in the moment, but in the back of your mind the whole time, it's the stress you have to go back to when you get back to work? Have you ever been in a beautiful situation with, with your kids or, or with your family where you're thinking, it just seems like my family, it seems like things are going so well, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, there's probably going to be a fight tomorrow. It's like your mind just tricks you of like, it cannot be this good. And so soon there's going to be this huge rupture that's going to throw everything off. What we do to ourselves, what we as humans do to ourselves is we limit our own ability to experience joy because we're thinking, we're worrying, we're, we're, we're experiencing anxiety over the pain that's going to come. And we are, allow ourselves to deaden the joy. We keep ourselves from experiencing the fullness of joy. Eternity being set in our hearts is meant to flip that script. Flip the whole thing upside down. Because here's the experience we have, just like when you're on vacation and you're thinking, I just want to live in the moment, but I know the moment's gonna end and I wish I could live here forever, but that's not practical. You can't just be on vacation your whole life. And so at some point, I've gotta go back to the heart. I've gotta go back to the work. I've gotta go back to the stress and the pain. What having eternity set in our hearts does for us is it reverses the whole equation. And instead of deadening the joy, limiting the joy because the sorrow is going to come, having eternity set in our hearts and having the confirmation of an eternal state of, of joy and hope with Christ allows us to endure the hard, recognizing the hard must be deadened by the eternal joy that awaits. That's ultimately where this passage is driving us. That though there are times of great mourning, all times of mourning will end. Do you know that grief is not eternal, but joy is? Do you know that, that tears are not eternal, but laughter is? That one day all those, those tears are going to be wiped away from, from the eyes of, of those that have received Christ and our mourning will be turned into dancing in an everlasting sense. And so, yeah, 
yeah, all of this life is going to end. All of these pains are going to end. All of these stresses are going to end. But for the child of God, hope doesn't end. Joy doesn't end. And love never ends. So as we try to experience pleasures in this life, we try to grasp them and we lose them like a vapor. That's one of the messages of Ecclesiastes. You try to get so much good out of life, you try to soak so much meaning and purpose and joy out of things in this world, you're never gonna get there. No human relationship is gonna provide for you ultimate joy and purpose. No human possession, no human experience, no earthly thing at all will ever get you to the point of ultimate joy, purpose, and meaning. But that's okay because none of that stuff was meant to produce that for us. The goal of God's good creation was for us to be experiencing ultimate purpose and meaning in him. And so when we rightly understand that this life is fleeting, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. You want this life to pass away. I don't care how good your life is. You want this life to pass away. It doesn't matter how much joy and pleasure you experience in this world. You want it to end because what comes next is better. So God has made a season for everything. But he's also placed beauty in everything. In every season, he says in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Could this be true of death, war, weeping? All of these are included in those 14 couplets of verses one through eight, 14 comparisons. And you think, could he really be saying that even war is beautiful in its time, even death it's beautiful in its time? God doesn't apologize for saying that it is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, the, the death of his saints. God doesn't apologize for that. That for those that are sons and daughters of God, death is beautiful. Because it is the renewal of a human into the presence of God, into what God intended them to really be as they enter into his presence. So yeah, death can be beautiful. Yeah, weeping can be beautiful. So true story, this happened at the Cheney household last, last night. Um, kids don't understand weeping. Kids don't understand crying in the fullness of it. Kids have a much more narrow view. So last night, Jess and I and our two girls, Jericho's with grandparents, we were watching something and there was lots of tears going on. No tears from the kids, only from the adults. And that was myself included. And I'm not ashamed to say it. It, Jess and I were both weeping as we were watching this. And yeah, it happens. I'm a guy. I cry. It's all good. And as Jess and I are crying, Eden and Karis are looking at us like, what is wrong with you people? Why are you crying? Eden literally says, we've got to watch something else. We've got to watch something happy. We're supposed to be having a fun family night, and mom and dad are over here crying. We've got to do something about this. And we're like, no, these, this is actually good. We're, we're crying because this is beautiful, and this is joyful, and this is meaningful. This is good. But, you know, kids don't understand the depth of that. Kids only cry when they're hurt or sad. It's only as you age that you start to experiencing weeping with, with joy, crying tears of, of joy or, or tears of great happiness and satisfaction. So yeah, there, there is beauty in, in weeping. There's even beauty in weeping in pain. Because the, the beauty to be found when we weep in pain and sorrow and loss is a reminder that God has created us 
as relational beings, and those relationships are good. And you know what? It is good and right that it hurts when relationships are lost because it points us towards the goodness of God. We, we don't want to be able to lose relationships and not care. We want to weep for relationships because that shows us the depth of love that God has created us for and the depth of love that we will be experiencing in all eternity that we can't even fathom yet because God is a God of restoration of relationship. God is a God of eternal relationship. And even in war, though it doesn't seem like it, the, the author of, of Ecclesiastes here is not trying to talk about just war and the purposes of war and when war is a good thing or a bad thing, that, that's beyond the, the view of what he's talking about. But what he is saying is that there can be beauty in times of war, and we all know this. We all know times from, from world history in which there is great beauty and light and hope even in the midst of the most traumatic times. Why? Because God doesn't forget about people in times of war. God doesn't forget about people in times of famine. God doesn't forget about people in times of societal unrest. God still, by his spirit, moves. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to the problems of the world. He actually steps in and brings light and hope and joy. And in fact, we should probably recognize what Paul recognized when Paul, in interacting with God, shared a piece of his own personal spiritual diary to us. In 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I was having a conversation with God and God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, it's okay to be weak. It's actually better that way. God speaks more clearly that way. God speaks more clearly when he is most sufficient in the midst of our weaknesses. Don't run from weakness. Run into the arms of the one who is ultimately strong in the midst of our weakness. So in the midst of all of this, there's beauty in every season of life. And in the midst of it all, he is saying, you know what you need to do? Rejoice. Rejoice in where you are. Rejoice in where God has placed you. Rejoice in what he's given you. Rejoice in what he's put in front of you. Do you know that Christians are the most obnoxiously optimistic of people? Or at least we should be. Not because we think that humanity and society is great. No, we're actually pretty down on humanity and society. We actually are rightfully pessimistic about all human institutions. But life? Oh, we're big on that. We're big on that as Christians because we're, we're promised abundant life. And so the, what it means to really be a Christian is to have this in, incredible, incredible, obnoxious, uh, stubborn sense of hope and optimism in any and all circumstances. That's what it means to be a Christian. Because as a Christian, you know that though, the fallen, though fallen humanity ruins anything and everything, Families, churches, schools, governments, societies, everything. Fallen humanity, we mess up everything. But the beauty of it is abundant life in Christ is to be found in the midst of all of that everything that's messed up. That's the outrageous optimism of being a follower of Christ and dwelt by the Spirit of God. We are incredibly pessimistic about things that man builds and incredibly optimistic about knowing that God can redeem any and all of it. And that God is actively involved in all of the things that man messes up. And all of the things that, that man falls short of, God is actively working and redeeming. And so can we rejoice in all things? Yeah, we can. Because Christians are stubbornly optimistic in the midst of everything falling apart. That, that's who we're called to be. That's why the Spirit of God is given to us. If life was easy, God wouldn't give you himself. 
You wouldn't have any need for the Spirit of God to indwell you if life was easy. The fact that he gave you himself to be in you, to restore you along the way, to make you more like himself as you matured, is a statement that, hey, I'm sending you into a pretty hard place, but I'm not sending you alone. The author of Ecclesiastes says it like this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, for for human beings, than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone eat, drink, and take pleasure in all of his toil, for this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear him. Did you just feel the pressure come off? Because this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying to you. He's saying, take, take the pressure off. Understand what it is that you're called to do and understand what it is that God is doing when you realize it or not. The pressure's off because what he's telling us is there is nothing better than to just be joyful and to do good. Fight for joy. Pursue joy and pursue good. Do right as much as you can. But oh, by the way, What he's saying to us in the midst of Ecclesiastes, in the midst of the toil, is all of the work of your hands is someday going to burn away. Doesn't mean don't do it. Doesn't mean don't work, but work recognizing that whatever house you build, whatever business you build, whatever relationships you build, those are going to pass. Those are fleeting. But you know what? There is someone whose work endures forever. And that's God and God himself. Whatever your career is, whatever your nine to five job is, it's going to pass away. But whatever God does endures forever. And did you know that God works through you? So the only thing, the only thing that you do that has lasting eternal impact is what God does through you. Not the simple work of your hands just to clock in, clock out, and get a paycheck. But what does God do through you? That's the question. And and I said, the pressure's off, and here's why the pressure's off. You're gonna mess something up. And you're gonna mess it up bad. And you may not even recognize how bad you messed it up. But that's okay, because it's gonna burn. You, You recognize that in Christ, your sins, they get taken away. In Christ, the relationships that you mess up, that that goes away. In Christ, the job that you got fired from because you didn't give it your all, that that goes away. That record is expunged. But you know what happens in Christ? The work that you do in obedience for him, the people that you share and encourage with the light and love of Christ, that endures. It's not the work of your hands isn't eternal. It's the work of God's hands that he uses you as an instrument for. That's what's eternal. And that actually takes a little bit of the pressure off, right? Because let's say you said a harsh word to your spouse that gets burned up in the end. Don't do it just because it gets burned up in the end. Let's say you lose your patience with your kids. Let's say you you say something to your kids that you shouldn't. That gets burned up in the end. But let's say you share the gospel with your kids. Let's say you invest in your neighbors. Let's say you invest in those around you and, and not just about your favorite sports team or your favorite hobby or, or whatever, but let's say you invest the gospel of Jesus Christ into another person. That doesn't get burned up in the end. That's every work of the Lord that endures forever. 
That's, we are his workmanship created for good works, which he has prepared for beforehand for us to do. So every work that God does endures forever and every work that God does through you endures forever. But the messed up stuff you do, that gets burned up at the end of days and you're welcomed in as a righteous son and daughter of the king because that's why Jesus died. Jesus died for people that would mess up. Jesus didn't die for perfect people. So if you're trying to get perfect in order to be in relationship with God, then you're, you're wasting the sacrifice of Jesus in the first place. Recognize that he's come for broken and messed up people. He's come for weak people. He's come for people that don't always get it right so that he might pour out his love and his redemption to you. So what do we do? We are eternal optimists. We are the most optimistic of all people because Jesus came so that we might have life and life to the fullest. It's not just, this, this book is not just grin and bear it and life will be better in the end. It's no. Use the incredible hope of eternity to bring hope today. We have hope for eternity. We can sit there and grin and bear it and just wait for it. But you know what's way better? Let's experience hope now because we know how the story ends. We know that the destination is determined. So whatever happens now, whatever goes wrong, there is hope and there is joy only because of what he accomplished. When Christ went to the cross, he endured the suffering and the pain. Why? Because of joy that was set before him. What can you endure because of the joy set before you? What can you endure in patience? You know, we're not good at patience. We confuse patience and waiting. Anyone can wait. But the word patience in the New Testament actually means long-suffering. Don't say you're patient if you're not willing to suffer. Waiting means that something is delayed and you're just waiting patiently. You're just waiting uh, respectfully of something that's going to happen. But patience, patience, no, no, no. Patience is willing to endure suffering while you wait. And that's a fruit of the Spirit. But Paul says it like this to us. We do not lose heart. Though our elder self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is directly communicating with the author of Ecclesiastes. Different generations, different times, different covenants, different work of, works of God as they were interacting, but it's the whole story of Scripture coming together, old and new covenant coming together in a beautiful way because Paul is almost quoting Ecclesiastes. He says, the things that are seen, i.e. under the sun, are transient, i.e. vanity and vapor. The things that are seen are transient is the same as saying the things that are under the sun are vanity. But the things that are unseen are eternal is the same as saying because he has set eternity in our hearts, we can look beyond the sun to the beauty that Christ has set before us in all eternity. So I'm going to ask Jason to come up and he's going to lead us as we sing to close. But I want you to know that today is a day of rejoicing and that's not just because it's Mother's Day. Rejoice in Mother's Day. It's a beautiful thing. Rejoice with family today. Rejoice with your mother. Re rejoice in the beauty that that brings. But today's not just a day of rejoicing because it's Mother's Day. Today is a day of rejoicing because it's a day where the tomb is empty.
and a day where the punishment for all sin has been poured out on the cross. Today is a day of rejoicing because Jesus endured the cross in joy for us. Today is a day of rejoicing because we can look beyond the things under the sun that are seen and into all eternity. And with eternity in our hearts and eternity on our minds, we look into the world and we see more than just what's right in front of us. We see that we're all engaged in a spiritual battle each and every day. And there is real audacious hope to be found in this life because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ is coming back for every one of his children. Today is a day of rejoicing because he didn't leave us to figure it out on his own, on our own. Today is a day of rejoicing because anyone can get in on this. Today is a day of rejoicing because it is in your brokenness and your weakness that you find Christ by coming before him and saying, I can't get there on my own. I cannot be righteous on my own. I can't be good on my own. So Jesus, I need your blood. Jesus, I need your life. Today is a day of rejoicing because we're the most optimistic, obnoxiously, audaciously optimistic of all people. In our sanctified stubbornness, we rejoice. We choose to rejoice. So I'd invite you to sing with us. Stand and sing with me. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life And all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice will you have led through the fire and darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend oh I have lived in the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God holy Hey! Mm-hmm.
shepherd, a holy God. Come and worship the holy. Sing it again. Come and behold. standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. Amen. Go in peace.